When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. The beat goes on. The Ohio State Buckeyes go on. They're headed to the national title game against the Alabama Crimson Tide on January 11th because they beat Dabo and whoever else plays for Clemson. Is there anybody else? It's just the fighting Dabos that were defeated by the Ohio State Buckeyes. What was it? 49 28. Man, they look good. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. It's 2.30 in the morning, Friday night, Saturday morning. I'm in my basement right near my bed in my home. Nathan and Stephen are far, far away from their beds. They're in their hotel rooms in New Orleans. We're going to try to give you a little flavor because you all watched it. You all are excited about it. And we've got like 10 days of analyzing it and getting ready for Alabama. But we want to bring a little flavor. What's up? What the guy said because... You know, there's not a lot of quotes in the story. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for being along on this ride. Steven was right on his pick. Nathan and I were wrong on our picks. But let's get to a quick bit of info. Quick bit of info. Nathan, you said you were on the call. It was all Zoom calls, even though those guys were there in person. Post-game Zoom calls. I did Clemson. So as I was on the Dabo and Trevor Lawrence. Nathan is on with Dustin, uh, Ryan Day and Justin Fields, and Steven is on the one with the other Ohio State players. So, Nathan, first of all, how is Justin Fields? What happened to him taking that shot from James Skalski in the game? So I thought the most telling thing that Justin Fields said about his injury, whatever that was, or his however he got hurt, was not actually any words. It was when he sat down to start the press conference and it was just kind of this like weary, like, uh, like I can't even really describe it. It was a, it was a groan. And he did another one, a smaller one, as he was getting up to leave that moment or his time at the microphone, um, getting up from the folding chair, wherever he was sitting. So it clearly was hurting him. Um, and he, he talked about the fact that it was basically hurting him every time he threw the ball and he just tried not to think about it and kept playing. Um, he did get a couple of shots. He didn't say what those shots were. I assume it's cortisone or something like that in the medical tent. And they just sent him back out. He didn't get an actual diagnosis, but, you know, said that he knew that when he wakes up tomorrow or today, when you're all hearing this, that he knows he's going to be really sore and, um, probably something he's gonna have to deal with between now and January 11th. But, um, 
uh, obviously just a, a, a incredibly gutsy performance by him. I mean, I, it, it's weird. I was thinking about this after the game and we talked about it in our little videos about every time Ohio State plays a big game here, these two years that I've been covering the team, there's some kind of Justin Fields physical issue accompanying that last year it was everything after the Penn State game with his knee this year even you have the whatever with his wrist going into this game and now we're going to be doing the the rib watch for the next couple weeks but he he's never missed a game and he he fights through it I mean he's just a really tough dude what was the vibe Steven from anybody else and any of the other Ohio State guys what were they saying about Justin what was the vibe of their quarterback throwing six touchdown passes while basically wincing in pain every time he threw the ball in the second half. A lot of respect because uh, you see your quarterback down, go down like that. The vibe I got was most of them kind of felt like if I was him, I probably wouldn't be playing. And not only did he get up and play, he threw a touchdown pass the moment he came back in the game, just like he did against Michigan. And he played even better after he got, got hurt, hurt like that. So a lot of respect. I think – you can tell he's had some moments where he showed his toughness, whether it was the Michigan game last year or playing with the hurt knee after the Penn State game and through the rest of the season. But this was a different level of that um, and allowed them to really kind of seize the moment that was available to them because they were kind of rolling away with that game. And that could have been a game changer had he been, had to sit out the rest of the game. Oh, my God. You can't even imagine. I mean, like and when he got hit, I mean, the way he got hit, you didn't know. I mean, I didn't know if he got was more on the side or more in the back or like, yeah. is it something that like he's got to go get an x-ray? I mean, sometimes it's even like you may not be hurt for the game, but it takes a while to figure it out that you're out for a couple series, you know, and he was out for one play. Yeah. So an amazing thing. This clearly, I mean, this is the kind of analysis we don't need to do because everybody listening to this. And by the way, 500 questions. So <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do another podcast for Sunday. This is now the Saturday morning podcast. We'll do another podcast for Sunday when these guys get back to Ohio. We just aren't going to be able to get to your questions because where would we even start? But, I mean, it's legendary. It's legendary. I mean, nobody will ever forget this game. There's going to be a lot to get into. Of There is a big difference here to me of the Alabama semifinal in 2014 was legendary. And then when they got to Oregon, even though Oregon was favored, it was kind of like, well, they can handle Oregon. It's like, okay, they have, Oregon had Marcus Mariota and he won the Heisman. And so you're not dismissive of that, but it's like, well, across the board, they don't have as many as, as many good players. Like it felt like they, I mean, they were the four seed. They had beat number one. They had played the best team in the semifinals. And we kept comparing it. It's like when the U S hockey team in 1980 beat Russia in the semifinals and then beat Finland in the final, you remember the semifinal. This is like beating Russia in the semifinal. And then in the final, you have to play like Mars or like what is like aliens? Like what is it? This is not a step down. So this is going to be a very different buildup to this game that it's like, hey, yeah, you really hated those guys. But now, oh, by the way, it's your old friend who is like having their best season. Maybe that Nick Saban's had in a long time anyway. So we have plenty of time to get into that. Nathan, you had talked about this building up to the game that Justin, when we, and we only talked to him for a tiny bit for 10 minutes on the zoom call early in the week was a little short with the answers, just seemed a little perturbed. Didn't really want to talk about how he didn't play well at Northwestern did not really want to talk about what was coming up. He just felt like he wanted to go out and do it. What was the vibe post game from him tonight from N Ryan day about how Justin handled everything in the 13 days since 
not playing that well against Northwestern to absolutely lighting up the sports world on Friday night. I mean, they, they both addressed that. Um, and it, I, it, Justin Fields, I think, would admit that he did not play well in that game. I think what his problem was that the analysis then moved beyond that to, well, maybe Justin Fields just isn't a good quarterback. I think that's what he took personally, that it wasn't just, well, he played poorly this game. They were looking at that. People looked at that game. They looked at the Indiana game or parts of the Indiana game put those two things together and said, well, maybe this guy's overrated. Maybe this guy just, you know, doesn't have what it takes to get it done, et cetera. He's going to get rattled. So I think he came into this game with a, a chip on his shoulder in a way that he hasn't really had for a long time. You go back and think about it. He gets to Ohio state and by the end of the first quarter of his first game, he's already run for like a 60 some yard touchdown. It's off to the races that day and things just kind of built for him from there for him that whole first season and then even this season he comes in he's just throwing darts over those first three games and it's nothing but bullseyes and can't be stopped and then finally it's just a little bit of adversity and it gets blown into something you know what's wrong with Justin Fields have we been wrong about Justin Fields so I think he took that personally and it really motivated him today I mean he'd already said it early in the week when we did talk to him that he had prepared more for that game harder for that game this game I should say than any previous game and we haven't really gotten into detail exactly what that means but he definitely played with a poise and a power tonight that we hadn't seen from him really since those first three games this year and really in the considering the stakes and the competition and everything we'd never seen Justin Fields like this I thought he saw everything I yeah. thought any fears of like, okay, Clemson's going to give him some looks or do something that throws him off a little bit. He saw it all. He saw the deep balls. He saw the checkdowns. We got to talk about the checkdowns, man. They've never checked it down like that in their life. Checkdowns change the game. So there's a million things to get into just like strategically off. Obviously, Steven, you had mentioned, and the, the texters were noticing that what you had said about the tight ends before the game came true what you said about hey Notre Dame hit him with tight ends Ohio hit the Clemson with tight ends Ohio State hits him with the tight ends obviously part of the game plan but they had everything planned and whether Justin was hitting stuff in the soft zone whether he's getting the ball out of his hands pretty quickly whether he's hitting checkdowns whether he's loading up for those deep balls man it's a reminder again listen on one hand it's like I don't know that anybody here ever went to like, well, Justin Fields isn't good anymore. He did not play very well against Northwestern. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of reasons that he didn't. He didn't play very well. And he didn't play very well in the second half against Indiana. All those things are true. It is a reminder. That guy, it is a remarkable thing to watch him load up and look like he is throwing a ball as far as he can throw it. And it is right on the guy's hands. That remain, That is a trait that we have seen from Justin Fields in the past. And that deep post to Olave was a reminder of like, dang, man, that guy has got something. Was Chris Olave, Steven, one of the players in the other Zoom? He was. He was actually one of the first players, him and Josh Myers. And, of course, the first question out of anybody's mouth is like, dude, how does it feel this year to go through? And he went through that whole entire thing. But then he started talking about his. So, so but so take us through some of this. We want to get a little flavor of this. We know yeah. he had talked about it before, but I mean, he it happened. Mm -hmm. This is a guy, everything that he would have wanted, and we don't know what's going to happen next, but he, he vanquished his demons. He does yeah. not have to live with that anymore. He doesn't. Nobody 
nobody thinks he has to live with that. He is absolved, not just because his team won, but because he and his quarterback got it done in a big way, beat the same guys on some of the same types of throws. Like, was he emotional? How, what did he say about it specifically? What was he like? He's not emotional because that's not his personality, but you could see the relief on his face and in his tone. Cause I'm, I'm starting to ask a question. I'm like, dude, like you, given what the last year has been like, we've talked about this on the phone. Yada, yada, ask going through the entire thing. And as a whole time, you can just hear him kind of letting it all go on the release. And he starts laughing about it and going, man, I'm basically relieved that he got to have this moment against this team and not only have this moment, but he played six catches for 132 yards and two touchdowns. It wasn't like he had one catch that was a game winning catch and that was it. But other than that, he was an offense. No, he was the factor. And it was very clear from the get go. You saw the relief on his face. You heard it in his tone. And he's a, obviously he's a more introverted type of guy, but you could just tell by how he was talking and how he was kind of interacting with us that this was the, this was a major weight lifted off those guys' shoulders. And I'm, these wide receivers were really good tonight. And what I saw was a quarterback and really a play caller in sync and not forcing it because it, it they could force it against Nebraska and against Penn State where they could just throw bombs all over the place and it didn't matter. But once you're playing a good team, you have to let things open up. And you saw that with the first series. Even if it led to nothing, they tried to establish the run game. And after that was established, you saw the play action stuff. You saw the tight end stuff. Then you saw the deep ball to Olave. Then you saw the deep ball to Jamison Williams where – Jamo's got two guys on him, and that's just a perfect ball. Garrett Wilson is wide open right next to him, waving his hand. So they let everything kind of flow into motion instead of trying to force everything down people's throats and be aggressive 24-7. Justin just out threw Clemson's coverage a couple times. Yeah. That he just had guys. It's like, I, I mean, I felt like sometimes a couple times they caught the safeties a little flat-footed. The, the final, the, the big deep post to Olave I want to talk about a little bit because we can talk about it right now. There's a sequence, there's two sequences that I thought were the sort of two sequences of the game. And the second one that I thought was the second sequence of the game ends with that Olave touchdown. And Justin, he looks right to his first read and he moves the safety. And the safety, the deep safety, takes two steps to the right. And then when he comes back to the left, the safety is in the wrong spot and is too shallow and it's over. And the help's not going to get there. And it's just Justin Fields, at times people have said, is he a one read? Like, does he get lock on his first read too much? That was something that people were saying after Northwestern. He's moving guys around. He's he's creating opportunities for his receivers. And then he's he's throwing past the coverage because his guys are faster than the Clemson guys. And everything has been set up for it. Whereas when you looked at Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence was throwing downfield a couple times. There was a DB running with the Clemson receiver a lot of the time. There was a throw. One of the other important sequences I have written down, you know, they start off with a deep shot. Sean Wade is like stride for stride with the guy he's trying to throw to. He's like, all right, I get you're taking a deep shot. There's nothing to it. It is not there. When Ohio State Stephen took those shots Mm -hmm. and he did miss Olave. So I think, what was he, like three of four on deep balls? But they were all there. They were all set up. They were all there every time the Ohio State receiver was behind the coverage. And when Justin gets that opportunity, it's hard to go 100%, but he doesn't miss much. NFL throws. Those are NFL throws where it's not like how it was earlier in the season where these wide receivers are five yards open, so it's just lead them a little bit and they're going to go score. This was a little bit of coverage, solid solid coverage by defensive backs, and the quarterback has to lead his wide receiver. And he did it perfectly all but one time. And the one time he did it, it could have led the points, and the 
three times, three or four times he did do it, they led the points. This was for any of those questions about whether he's the second best quarterback in an NFL draft. He answered a lot of those questions with some of these throws tonight. He's already he's on the back page of one of the New York tabloids today. That that was they were like, hey Jets. I, the headline is out there on Twitter already. Yeah. The headline is something better than hey Jets, but it's basically that. Like everybody, it's one of those things. Everybody in New York was sad. They weren't going to get Trevor Lawrence. Sounds like, oh, we'll get the guy who outplayed Trevor, Trevor Lawrence on Friday. <laughs> maybe, that, maybe that's not so bad. Um, also, clearly, they had a plan. It was a quick turnaround. You know, the back in the days in 2006 and 2007, Ohio State had a 51-day break between their last game and the national title game. Now we're talking 13 days between the Big Ten Championship and a semifinal. Not a lot of time, but Nathan, I don't know what Ryan Day said about it, but they used those 13 days. Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson and Corey Dennis and Justin Fields and everybody on that offensive staff knew exactly how they wanted to attack Clemson. What vibe did you get from either Justin or Ryan about the plan and then how they executed it? We actually did not get into a lot of the game plan, really, because there were just a lot of questions about how um, what what he was saying to Justin Fields when he was like broken in half out there and and some things like that. And a lot of Justin Fields questions, frankly, um, and a little bit about Chris Olave, things like that. So we didn't really get into a lot of the, the specifics of that game. But I just thought regardless of what the game plan was, I, I think, you know, the, the way this line protected him protected fields uh, the way that the, the the ground game came in and set a tone and, and helped them play on schedule throughout the game. I mean, you know, the, Clemson came in as one of the best run defenses in the country statistically, not just in the raw statistics, but when you look deeper into some of the analytics, they were still pretty strong. And, and Ohio state just came out and pretty much ran it through them the same way they did against Northwestern. I thought all those things provided this foundation by which then Justin Fields, on top of what he was bringing personally into this game, just played with a comfort level. I thought we could, can we talk about the, the checkdowns? Because I thought that was, was a huge yeah. part of this game. I, I, I want to save it for one second because there's a one play I want to talk about specifically that will springboard us into that discussion. Okay. So, so hold that for one second. But um, how was Ryan Day overall? There are times, I mean, last year, Going into his first Michigan game, there was a lot of like, hey, it's the Michigan game. And, you know, you're not from Ohio, but like winning this game. And he was very emotional after winning his first Michigan game in 2019. This is a chance to avenge the only team that's ever beaten him. He's talked a million times about what a difficult season it's been for these guys. They thought they weren't going to play. They fought to play. Now they're here. Were they emotional? Like, was it? Was it an, did, did you feel, did Ryan Day left that out at all? Did Justin let that out at all, Nathan? I, to me, it was more of a, you got to remember too, in this case, like they've already had the podium time. And I think there was a lot of emotion there. You saw it in the Big Ten Championship game too. I thought there was a lot of emotion from Ryan Day there. And then maybe not quite as much of a time we talked to him. And then even more so tonight, by the time we talked to him, you could tell that I think he was just, had released a lot. Like there was a lot had been taken off his shoulders because, you know, coming into this game, I think there was a, a great sense of, and it was not necessarily any fault of Ohio States, but maybe they're just not going to get there. Maybe they just haven't had time to put this together. It's going to be a missed opportunity. You have all this talent, but you didn't get to have the season that would have let you um, 
bring it all together and then go into this a game like this, like firing on all cylinders, and it'll just be one of those moments that pass you by and you'll always wonder what if. And instead of finding a way to win the game, they came in and found a way to, to blow their nemesis off the field. And I think that was what I took from him the most from just like body language and tone of his voice or whatever. It was just that I think there was a lot of relief there and a lot of um, – a lot of that weight had just been removed. All right. We'll take a quick break on Buckeye talk. We want to talk about Dabo. We want to talk about Trey Sermon. We want to talk about briefly we'll have 10 more days to do it. We're going to talk about what we think about this Ohio state, Alabama matchup that is coming. We'll do that next on Buckeye talk. All right, let's take that off the top. Just get it out of the way. This is the one minute discussion. That will be a 100 hour discussion. Steven, can Ohio State hang with Bama? It's about a seven or seven and a half point line early on, which is about what this line was. Devontae Smith's going to win the Heisman. Najee Harris is hurdling people. Mac Jones has been on point. I think Alabama has some dudes on defense, even they've given, they've given up a lot defensively at times this year. Your gut off the jump here, how do you feel about that matchup? Um. I feel good. I, I think this Ohio State can hang because of the offensive explosion. They're not going to hold – Alabama's going to score too. But I, I, I've been saying all year Ohio State can win a shootout against anybody, and I feel validated in that now and seeing it against one of the three best programs in the country. So if they're going to score like this, if they're going to have a run game like this and the offensive play calling is going to look like this, yeah, they can hang with Alabama. Because the one thing is is – they won 49-28, but they could have won 49-45. They could have given up a lot yeah. more than they gave up. They had enough. So that's, again, I think Bama probably is going to score more than 28. I'm not sure what Ohio State's going to do with Devontae Smith because nobody's figured out what to do with that guy. So that's nothing new. But, Nathan, and we don't want to, you know, it's in the middle of the night. Quick vibe on how, how you feel about Ohio State-Bama just a couple hours removed from this semifinal. You're going into tonight, uh, I would have thought that even if Ohio State found a way to win this game, that I would have assumed Alabama is still 10 to 13 points better than them. And now I think it's I, I think seven sounds high to me. I think I would maybe like that number for Ohio State um, because, again, as Stephen said, we had not seen this Ohio State yet. We, they hadn't been able to do it for a full game, especially, and we hadn't seen them play a team of this caliber. And to put both of those things together, I think just gives us a new perspective on what Ohio State is. It's what we thought they'd be all along, but now we've actually seen it. And the thing that we saw is the combination of the pass game and the run game. And Justin is on point. The line is doing work. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are borderline all-American talent receivers. And Trey Sermon is like a vicious runner. He is vicious. He has gone from not being able to find holes to finding holes, but then once he gets through them, not doing much with it, to like ripping through holes and punishing linebackers and safeties that get in his way. I, I am stunned by it. It is so impressive and he did it. Like, this is just a next level of athlete. And I know, I mean, if you want to say Clemson has a number one ranked defense, but were they really the number one defense? They're number one ranked. I get it. Maybe they don't have a first round picks all over that defense. 
but he's stiff arming dudes. He's jumping over dudes. I don't Nathan. I mean, that that's, that is now what you have to assume Trey Sermon is. This is a dangerous offense when you have this passing game now coupled with a guy who is looks scary. Yeah, I mean, the, the, just a couple of things that pop out to me from just thinking back through this game, a, a play, and I think it might have been in the second quarter, maybe it was the third, where the, the original hole he was going to take kind of collapsed on him, and then he cut it outside to an even bigger hole and, and took off. Just vision things like that that we just we weren't seeing it early this season. Early this season, he would have just fallen into that that collapsing hole and it might have been like a one yard gain if that and that would have been it and now he's turning him into big chunk plays I mean repeated chunk plays and I've probably given more credit to the line than to Sermon for the way this has gone the last couple weeks but I mean you can't deny some of the things he's doing tonight it was another play where he broke into the open field on one of the touchdown drives and um Clemson tried to tackle him up high. And I think early this season, he might've fall. He might've gone down to that. And tonight he's just like brushing the guy off. Like he's a paper towel or whatever. And, and, and plowing ahead for another 10, 15 yards. I mean, just, just huge chunk plays. And you can't underestimate, you can't overstate what that meant to setting up what they did with the passing game tonight. I, th- I think the best thing he's done is let this offensive line work for him. Um, because they, they showed a stat. I, I Every so often I'll, bring, I'll peek up at the, at the broadcast just to see what's happening up there. And they were showing a stat of yards he would get before contact. You never you usually see yards after contact, but they were showing how many yards he was getting before contact. And he was 12, 13, 14 yards deep before anybody even touched him. That's the offensive line. Basically giving him so much space to work that he has all his energy to break a tackle off of a safety or a linebacker because no one's touched him for 12 yards and he's already got all this momentum. And that happened time after time last week. It happened a little bit in the Michigan State game and it happened a lot tonight. So it is still that combination of this is one of the best offensive lines in the country who is missing a guy and Trey Sermon figuring out how to work with this offensive line and hit these holes really the way J.K. Dobbins was. And that that's a credit to both sides. Like that, the 32 yard touchdown run, the first touchdown, he wasn't touched. No, they were running like the <laughs> yards before contact and they yeah. just ran it all the way to the end zone right. because nobody yeah. touched him. <laughs> so, I mean, that's one of those things that, and that's the kind of thing that I before was like, okay, well, I get it, Trey. Like, congratulations on the touchdown, but it was the hole. It was all hole. And now it was all hole, Buckeye talk. <laughs> and, but, but now that's not what his game is at all. No. He's taken that. But Nathan, as you said, he's also okay. There's not a there's not a hole here. I'm going to cut it here. Oh, I'm getting to the second level. He, I think he's going to karate chop somebody at some point. He is going to do one of those. He is so he is attacking defenders, and I, I mean this is like this is all in a yeah. tremendous way. I he is no so physical. Mask, I had no problem with that face mask because yeah, it's in the service of of being vicious. I mean, yeah. he's I don't want to get near that guy trying to tackle him. He is a very physical very aggressive, like in the best sense of the word. And again, it's like, who was, is it the same he, he person? Is now. Yeah. That's the thing. Like he is now. And, and he wasn't like early this season. It, it's almost like he and, and Justin Fields had this like little flip at some point mm-hmm. this year where like, you know, it, Justin was just so locked in early on and Trey Sermon was kind of very hesitant. And then, you know, when, when Trey Sermon kind of started coming around is where it's too simplistic to say that, but it's, it's, but you, with the, what Trey Sermon is today, the, the player he is today is not the player he was on October 24th when Ohio State started the season. It makes There's no other wanna, way to say it. 
Yeah, it makes me want to go back and watch Oklahoma film a little bit. I know it's not the same situation, but I, the second level stuff might have been the second level stuff, but the problem may have always been him getting there and dancing in the hole, doing all this extra stuff. Just get through the hole and then start working and being violent. He wants to be violent in the hole. And now that he's not do- violent in the hole, fuck I talk. Now that he's... <laughs> now Jeez, that he's that's- yeah, after hours, baby. Buckeye now talk after not, dark. Yeah, now that he's not doing the, all the dancing around in the hole and just letting his offensive line work for him, we're seeing all of that stuff that maybe uh, maybe flashed at Oklahoma at times consistently. All right, here's the analogy that I have come up with in the last three minutes, comparing it to the 2014 national title run. It's you got to flip the positions. Justin Fields is Ezekiel Elliott like the supremely talented yeah. guy who is going to be an NFL star and is hitting his stride at the right time, but was always good and is just like now being even super, more super awesome than before. So Justin is Zeke. Master Teague is JT Barrett. Like good, solid at his position, was the main guy at his position most of the year, and then something happened to him. And they brought in this very sort of rare, very physical guy who you're not exactly sure what the deal is. And back then it was Cardale Jones and now it's Trey Sermon. And so Cardale Jones just like went bananas for three games and that was all they needed. He didn't have to be an all-time legend for a whole year. Three games was all they needed. Trey Sermon Bananas against Northwestern, bananas against Clemson, bananas against Bama. That's all he's got to do. And that, but like Justin and Zeke were like the constant. So that's where I am on that, that it, it is something that happens where you have supremely talented guys. And then you also have talented guys who are just hitting a hot streak at the right time in the right situation, surrounded by the right people. And now you have the combo. And now all of a sudden, how's Bama going to defend that? Bama had a hard time defending Zeke and Cardale. I think Bama is going to be very challenged to defend Trey Sermon and Justin Fields. I want to get your thoughts on Dabo. So I was going to ask Dabo, where would you rank Ohio State now? I was prepared to do it. People on Twitter were saying it needed to be done. And in the service of readers and listeners, I was going to do it. Not because I, but I wanted to see what he would say. But also, I mean, it's like it's like histor- you've got to ask the guy. But also, we work for the people, so I was going to do it. And Dennis Dodd got called on first, and he asked it more in a rambling way that was like, do you regret voting them? And then Dabo went off on some things. So I couldn't, I couldn't ask that version of it. But Dabo filibustered for like the first seven minutes. And by about minute three, he was talking about GPA. And when a coach is talking about GPA, you know he doesn't want to talk about football. Because you don't talk about GPA after you win. After you win, you talk about passing yards and rushing yards and tackles and sacks and interceptions. So he was down. He was talking about, well, we got our banquet on the 16th. I'm excited. It was like, man, this yeah. guy does not want to talk football. This you is. Know what, you know what GPA stands for, don't you? What's that? Got pounded in the Alamo. Jesus, we are on one tonight, baby. Woo! 
Ooh, got pounded in the Alamo. This is San Antonio, but I, I like I like the effort there. You're, well, I, I was trying to think of something that started the with an A. Explicit tag is coming soon. Come on. Oh yeah, this is the uh, yeah. That's the whole. That is the new text thread. The the, the X rated text thread. Pay extra for that. So he was at a loss because. You know, they've lost before, but they don't usually do this. I think I'm right. I went back. They hadn't given up this many points since they lost to Florida State in the middle of the 2013 season. Like, they do not have this done defensively. On like the, People do not put this to them like that. So he was a little bit at a loss. But, Nathan, this is in the lore. I mean, and I'm, I'm not the best on Ohio State history, so I don't want to write it and be wrong about stuff. But, like, I feel like Dabo ranking Ohio State 11th is in the realm of like Woody saying, why did you go for two? Cause we couldn't go for three kind of stuff. Like people, the people listening right now, your grandchildren will know what Dabo Sweeney ranked Ohio state. Nathan, this is in the history books. hundred percent. And it's one thing if Ohio state had come in and won this game in a fashion similar to maybe how Clemson won last year's game, something controversial, something very nip tuck back and forth. And that's what it looked like it was going to be early on. It was 14 to seven. And then uh, state was off to the races before next thing you knew it was 28, 14 and they're going in for another one. And I, I think that's the thing that, that really is going to make it really hold up in the lore that he's, th- this whole thing started really started with th- this whole buildup to this game started with Dabo picking Ohio state 11th, putting Ohio state 11th on that ballot. And then that just sort of marinated for like two weeks. And then Ohio state came out and just put it to him. And then he owned it. He got asked about it and he doubled down on it. Yeah. Then he got out and then he tripled down on it after the game. And he said, I don't regret it. And he said sort of the same thing. It's like, I was, I would do it with any team. I don't regret it, but I will say, and, and listen, I mean, you try to analyze football. We don't know. I mean, if we were professional, again, if we were good at this, we'd be betters and not sports writers. I think it's their eight and one as underdogs in the urban Ryan Day era. And my God, they love to get ticked off at people. I don't, I guess maybe every team is like this. They just, I would not say a word about them. If I were Nick Saban in Alabama, I would make sure that I didn't say anything other than they are good. We are excited. Because Ohio State seizes on anything. They will take anything to make themselves mad at you, much less something that actually should make them mad. They would have gotten mad if he would have had him sixth. He put him 11th behind Coastal Carolina. And so, but you add that into losing to him last year. And again, they thought they should have won. The whole thing of like, we had to fight to play this season being an underdog, what people were saying about Justin Steven, like it just adds up. I don't, I never pick games on that. Like who's the maddest because sometimes you can be really mad. And if the other dude is really good, they just beat you by three scores and it doesn't matter how mad you were, but my God, they're good when they're mad. And it, how it factored in, I don't know how to figure, figure it out for this game, but it mattered. All those things together mattered some way, somehow. Yeah, I think the only group of people who are better at taking things personally than Michael Jordan is are Ohio sports fans. And it's whether we're talking about the Browns, the Cavaliers, Ohio State fans, Cincinnati's not included in this. You, you guys are on your own. But they, they take everything personally. And it does play a little bit of a role. I don't know. It's just... 
but the players, but the team, the fans don't make the team win. Oh, no, no, I, no, I'm including the players okay. in this as well. Like Cavalier players, Browns players, Ohio State players. I mean, they wrote 11 on the um, on the whiteboard, on the sideline after the game, and Haskell Garrett and J- Jonathan Cooper were holding it up. They took this personally. They're all tweeting after the game about it. And Garrett Wilson's like, well, does this make them 18th now because they lost to us? They care. They just wouldn't say anything in the, in the moment before. But I do think Ohio State especially, I, I said it on the last podcast, since Urban Meyer showed up here, their, their willingness to obsess about things that shouldn't be that big of a deal is ridiculous. It starts with the Michigan rivalry, and this has become second to that. Now it's a, a huge gap because one's a rivalry and one's Clemson. But the idea of they spent a year obsessed about this game already. They had to score up in the weight room, all that stuff. And then you just added more fuel to a fire that was already inflamed. I have a whole theory developing already about why Ohio State should lose to Alabama on purpose, because <laughs> if they beat Clemson and Alabama to win the national title, they are nobody's underdog and they're going to lose. Because like the one thing about them is as great as they are, they still are not the greatest program in the country. Right. Like Bama doesn't get to claim any of this stuff. Bama's never an underdog to anybody. And and. Clemson got a million questions this week about evolving from the little engine that could that beat Alabama in 2015 to now being one of the two monsters that everybody hates. And now Ohio State gets to be an underdog against them. So that is my advice. Ryan, Ryan, would you consider throwing this game so you can be more motivated in the next couple of years? Um, because they are just, they are remarkable. And maybe, maybe this happens everywhere, but God, don't give them anything to get mad about. Nathan, right? I mean, you're, they get so mad. Don't they get mad, Nathan? They get so mad. Well, but let's not forget too, that this was something for Ohio state. I mean, it, there, there is something, the fact that it was Clemson, right? That, that Clemson has been the team oh, standing sure. there so yeah. I, I if if this had been if they had been playing notre dame no uh, i agree and, and brian kelly had done it it wouldn't matter as much exactly right. so th- th- that is a big part of this and i think what i'm going to be intrigued to see in this next 10 days is probably one of those like sports writer storylines it isn't actually storyline but maybe it is like you've been this was the game you waited a year to play so emotionally yeah what do you do over these next 10 days to try to kind of get back to that place where you can bring what you brought tonight against a team that you don't have that same kind of personal vindictiveness against. Yeah. They, the players were asked about that too, emotional fatigue. And obviously they gave the, the answer that, you know, the, the by the book answer that situation. But I do think what helps that out a little bit is that it is Alabama and it's not Oregon, an Oregon type team. It's not Notre Dame. It is another team. It's now it's against the sec. Even if, even though you've already conquered that mountain once, it's still, we know how Ohio State and this people up here feel about SEC teams and why they hate ESPN because of how much they love the SEC. And so I think it's not going to be at the same level of you know obsession, but it's still a certain level of that because of who the opponent is. It probably helps it out a little bit. All right. So I want to get in. I kept saying, don't talk about the checkdowns yet. I want to get into a little bit of football stuff. Uh, is there anything else sort of from the emotional from actually before we get to that, you guys were there. We could hear on TV that the Ohio State fans were doing like a Dabo chant after the game. Like, let's yeah. just eat, get each of you give like a little, Stephen, what was it like? What was the vibe? What was the press box like? What was, what was the scene? How crowded did it look? Were people cheering? Like, just what's your little 
Not many people were in that stadium. You were. What did you think? I like this vibe better than the Big Ten Championship game vibe. One, because they got confetti after the game. But also, um, just because of how the game played out, the emotion from the parents who were there was felt a little bit more. You, you, you saw a little bit of work when the, the fumble that they had to review, when that went Ohio State's way, it got a little loud in there, given the circumstances. Uh, the interception in the end zone at the end of the game, it got a little loud when that happened. The targeting call, when it first happened, and I'm thinking it was – I thought it was targeting, and then without – after two seconds after I tweeted out, you saw, like, all the parents start, hey, targeting, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. And then when they threw – when they ejected uh, James Skowski, eruption again. And so all those moments – Put it with all the poetic justice of all the moments that went against Ohio State last year went in Ohio State's favor this year. Um, smaller crowd, but a pretty loud crowd given the circumstances of the game. Just a better environment of a football game. But the, the Superdome in itself is a very underwhelming experience. Yeah, it's kind of old. Nathan, what would you think? Yeah, I, I was really struck by how much noise a couple thousand people can make in a building that's like kind of built like that. And it's sort of what Steven was saying, like you, you still, it, it, it was kind of an, a, a distant echo. It wasn't like it would be for a, a real game. And I think when we finally get back to those, that's really going to maybe be a shock to the system to be in a, a real stadium again, full of people and kind of get knocked over with the sound waves again. And I'm looking forward to that, but it still, it was kind of an impact when uh, I think it probably helped to have the, the as, as many fans as they did there um, to, because when things started getting in their going in their favor, the crowd, I wouldn't say the crowd like affected the game um, and like took over things from a sound standpoint, but I think the players probably felt it a little bit, especially knowing that they knew each and every one of those people that was up there. You felt it on third down. So when Clemson was on third down, players would try to get you know, the parents into it and they really got into it then. Were the I Ohio State like, parents louder than the Clemson parents? 100%. They well, they had more reason to be loud too, especially in the first half. I mean, the crowd, yeah. I did get the small crowd did get a little bit taken out of that game, but yes, yeah, there were definitely. I also saw like Mayan Williams came in and had those like couple good little runs back to back, and then like as he's leaving the field, he's like trying to you know throwing his arms up, trying to get the crowd into it and stuff. So I mean, they were it, it's 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 a little bit funny just because it's it, it is so like sparsely. Uh, populated in there they were really spread out it wasn't like there was you couldn't really you sometimes even forgot that there were people up there just because you didn't see them the same way you see a usual crowd but you you could hear them at times and it it, it added something to the, the the vibe of the game even in a smaller sample size ohio state fans travel good yes they right. do i saw the the, <laughs> fa- the family parents association was tweeting out photos of uh, yeah. the game i mean there there's it's there's ohio state fans always show up uh, how was the press box? Was it spread out pretty well? Was it a little, were there a lot of people in there? What was the vibe in, in there? It's okay. Um, where we were sitting, we were kind of in a corner, I think. And cause there's two different parts of it. There's a part over in the corner when you first get off the elevator. And then there's like the main part where they're like serving food and everything. We were off in the corner. So you can't, there's a part of uh, the Clemson end zone. I, I believe that we couldn't really see you had to stand up. To see, so when when they targeted seven banks on one of the throws early in the game, I had to like basically get out of my chair. I don't know why I'm doing this. People can't see me, but I'm basically I had to like get out of my chair in order to see it. Um, it yeah, like I said, it's it, the Superdome is not the best viewing experience for a media member, but it was it was decent. It wasn't as cold as they said it was going to be though. Yeah, we were actually kind of fortunate that there wasn't a lot of activity in that corner of the end zone. There really wasn't weren't many throws over there the whole game for either team. It was more to the other side. So we got a little bit lucky there. 
Do they have like chips? Do they have chips? They did. They had, um, they had actually, they had a lot of selection. Um, I had like a burger and Mac and cheese and I didn't think it was that great, but here was the, here was the clutch thing. We came back to the hotel tonight. Um, Doug, you might've seen me eating as we were getting started. We came back to to the hotel tonight (laughs) and we were like, we're just going to walk down the hospitality room and get like a a water or whatever. And we get down there and they've got like red beans and rice with Andouille sausage. They've got like uh, bananas foster and stuff like it was they had a huge spread for us when we got back tonight so um i'm all about the marriott warehouse arts district this is they're our our sponsor for the night this is definitely unhealthy though because i'm pretty sure we both had to eat our ice cream before we ate our red beans and rice no i got a little fridge in here well i just ate my ice cream and then ate my rice do i I envy the person who sits in the middle seat on my southwest flights back home tomorrow Doug, no, I don't. I don't envy that person. But uh, this was our reward for yeah. a, a hard day of work. And Ohio State's already – they might be back already. They're flying home right after Maybe. the game. It really yeah. is crazy how, how much of a quick turn this is for you guys that you just got there and you're coming home already. All right, we'll talk a little football. There's a couple specific football things I want to talk about. We'll do that on the other side. You're listening to Buckeye Talk after Ohio State beats Clemson in the college football playoff semifinal in the Sugar Bowl. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. I thought the defense was really good. Better than I thought. They covered up a lot of the issues. They played two deep safeties, and they'd walk the safety down over the slot sometimes. They did not wind up in a situation where Marcus Williamson was trying to cover Amari Rogers one-on-one. That was not how they did it. They had Marcus Williamson at deep safety sometimes. They, they often had a linebacker helping out on that. They played a lot of zone. Um, they mixed some stuff up. They just, they did. And then they did at times on the outside, play some press man and, and make some throws more difficult for Trevor Lawrence. I thought it was a good game plan that, that if you thought, okay, is Justin Fields going to be seeing some stuff from Clemson? That's going to make it difficult for him. I thought Trevor Lawrence at times saw some things from Ohio state that made it difficult for him. And the two sections that I want to talk about, One is in the first half where it's 14-14 and Ohio State forces Clemson to punt on three straight possessions. And this is within the stretch where Ohio State is scoring five straight touchdowns. And it goes from 14-14 to 35-14 at the half. In that time period, from 14-14, Clemson goes punt, punt, punt. Three plays, eight yards. Three plays, six yards. Four plays, 18 yards for their three drives. At the same time, and this is not Ohio State just hitting bombs. Ohio State goes nine plays, 84 yards, nine plays, 75 yards, 12 plays, 80 yards. Ohio State marches three times, 30 plays on their drives. Clemson has 10 plays on their drives. Nathan, the defensive effort at corner, at linebacker, up the middle, remarkable they just and it wasn't spectacular it wasn't somebody beating two blocks and sacking trevor lawrence it wasn't somebody making a diving play it was just like good solid defense making it a little tough and clemson not being able to complete a little pass or they a throw gets tipped just like good solid smart defense punt 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 yeah six pass breakups in this game which is like one of those stats that i think a lot of times goes overlooked but when you start stacking those up or you get them at like just such critical times they they really start to add up in a game like this i thought 
also, it was just the way that they bottled the run up. And we knew that this was not Clemson's strength this year. The offensive line being more inexperienced, they had gotten away even from running with Travis Etienne very much. But I thought early on in this game, they weren't able, they were not getting Clemson off schedule. They were, Clemson was still just kind of rolling down the field early on in this game. And once they started making some plays on early downs, making them to take longer, longer uh, down their what am I want to say longer distance to, to down on second and third down. That's where this game changed a little bit. And it, it was those three, those three possessions in a row. And I think it was four out of five actually that they forced a punt. I mean, that's, that was the change. That was where the game was won. Essentially. I think you could, you could argue that the game was won when they, on those three possessions. Because it's not, I mean, it was surprising to see Ohio States. It was you can't expect Ohio State to score p- touchdowns on five straight possessions. We must acknowledge that that is excellent offense. Right. But I would have thought, okay, well, Clemson scored touchdowns on five straight possessions too. Like that's, but that was the difference. That Clemson well, was doing squat while Ohio State was rolling. And, and it was happening early on. I mean, it was it was back and forth. They were just trading touchdowns. I mean, it was was it fourteen fourteen at the end of the first quarter. Yeah, 14-14 yeah. at the end of the first quarter. And so I, I'm sitting here thinking, like, well, we might have, like, one of these Alabama games, like a 55-52 to 52 final or something like that, and we're just going to strap in, and this is going to get really crazy. And instead, like you said, like, just uh, another another tremendous performance by Justin Hilliard, another tremendous performance, I think, by that whole linebacker group. The defensive line, which was missing Zach Harrison, missing uh, Tyler Friday still, um, but yet still coming up and playing really strong, good performances in the secondary. Um, you know, it's some places where we thought that they were really vulnerable and that Clemson would be able to exploit them. Didn't really show up. Um, uh, just, yeah. I mean, you know, it's weird. You give up 400 and some yards, but really, I mean, they made Trevor Lawrence throw 48 times to get his 400 yards. I mean, that's a victory. I that's a defensive that- victory. And that's what that's what Clemson did to, to Justin last year. That Justin yeah. threw forty six times last year. This time threw twenty eight. That what I thought was huge. That it was a lot. There are so many things in this game that what happened one to one team last year, the op happened to the other team this year. But, but that was a big thing. Force Lawrence to throw, and sometimes it wasn't there. I learned three things watching this game. One, I think this is what this defense. I learned this is the seventh game of the season. For this defense and I think it's starting to come into its own it's just had we had a normal year we would have seen this in you know late October instead of January 1st two I think that Josh Proctor would have been the starting safety had Ohio State played Illinois after that Indiana game because he was he was great back there that no problems there you didn't see him the worst thing he did was drop another interception which is becoming a trademark of his at this point to drop an interception and lastly the two stats I, I want to bring up here, Amari Rogers, eight catches for 54 yards as a slot receiver. That's a bad day. Travis Etienne, four catches for 64 yards. They didn't let what happened last year happen this year where they get pressure, but it doesn't matter because they just slipped in Travis Etienne behind, behind the defensive line, lineman and dumped it to him, and he ran it for 60 yards for a touchdown. Those linebackers were on him. He No big plays. And they actually went away from it after a while because it wasn't working. And I think Nathan brought it up while we were in the press box where – they haven't really gone to a screen pass in a while. And we thought one was coming up on one play and they, they decided to do something else. They went away from a lot of the things that have been strengths for Clemson today because the linebackers were sound and the safety play was pretty quality for most of the night. And Cornell Powell was just making some really good catches on Sean Wade and seven things today. 
Sean Wade, nine tackles. Pete Werner, nine tackles. Tough Borland, eight tackles. Justin Hilliard, eight tackles. Tough Borland was the defensive MVP. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Everyone. Hilliard. I don't Hilliard, know right? what. Yeah, I don't know what the voting process was for yeah. that. We didn't vote for it. It's okay. six solo tackles. It, it may have been just that Ohio State gets to pick its MVP from who I don't know, but that I, I and I'm I, I'm not trying to take anything away from Tough Borland. I almost thought that it was like. They didn't know who to pick, so they gave it to the leader of the defense or whatever. Time captain. So I, I want to run through this quick. I, I want to note this on the uh, so that I, I want those punt, punt, punt possessions. I, I wrote down the plays and just some of the guys who came up here again because it's not, it's not Chase Young, it's not Jeff Okuda, it's not spectacular. It's just fundamental. But on one of the snaps kind of like the third punt drive. This was the defense. And just think about this. This is an Ohio State defense playing very well. The defensive tackles were Tommy Togiai and Teron Vincent. The ends were Jonathan Cooper and Haskell Garrett, because Haskell Garrett was playing some end, because Zach Harrison and mm-hmm. Tyler Friday were both out. Um, Kirk Herbstreit was calling him Haskell sometimes. Haskell Garrett. I, I was confused. He also... Kirk Herbstreit was calling him Kerry Coombs. Coombs yeah. Is it Coombs? Did, think, Jerry, did Kerry Coombs change the pronunciation of his last I'm name? Pretty, I think sure sometimes if you, when you have COVID, in addition to losing your sense of taste and smell, you lose your sense of <laughs> pronunciation. If it, if it helps, though, last week at the Big Ten Championship game, Javante Jean-Baptiste had the first 150 yards of uh, Trey Sermon's record-breaking day because they kept thinking it was Javante Jean-Baptiste. Oh, nice. And then this week they kept calling Chris Olave, Chris Olave. Really? Yeah. You should learn better than that. So anyway, so so that's the defensive line. Cooper, Vincent, Togiai, Garrett. Linebackers, Borland in the middle, Werner and Hilliard outside. Wade and Banks at corner, and Proctor and Marcus Williamson as the deep safeties. And that is like your shut down Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne defense. And like, that's fine, but right? I mean, there's, again, there's no... I'm not sure there's a first round pick in there. I don't know if I don't know if Sean Wade is a first round pick anymore, but there's I guess there's not Chase Young. There's not somebody being so incredibly disruptive. And they got the job done very quickly. Pete Werner. Pete Werner just making tackles before Lawrence and ATN can get going. Shedding blocks. The man is a block shedder. You cannot keep that guy blocked remarkable their first drive of that they try to run a zone read with atn um it gets blown up a little bit oh jaron cage they the first that first drive where they forced a punt the tackles to start that drive were antoine jackson and jaron cage like this is what we're talking about cage blows it up warner cleans it up makes the tackle the next one lawrence tries to keep it pete warner is all over him makes the tackle the next one baron browning gets a little pressure and Sean Wade is up in press coverage and forces Trevor Lawrence to throw a completion that's two yards short of the stick because Sean Wade's all over his dude and won't let the guy get to the first down marker. And there's nothing remarkable in there. It's like a two-yard gain and a two-yard gain and a five-yard throw, but they had to punt because guys just played fundamental defense. And another one of those, on that third down throw, with the multiple looks they're throwing at Trevor Lawrence, that third down throw, Lathan Ransom, a true freshman is lined up on Amari Rogers in the slot, mm-hmm. pressed up on a man to man. 
That guy didn't play until like two games ago. Yeah. Now he's covering Clemson's best receiver on third down in a 14-14 game. And he ran with them enough that Trevor Lawrence had to look somewhere else. That's where we are with this defense now. The next drive, deep ball. Sean Wade wipes it out. Little bubble screen to Rodgers. Justin Hilliard attacks it. Like a five-yard gain, but drags him down before Rodgers can get anything going. And then they play smart zone when they're running a wheel route to ATN. They think it's going to be man-to-man. It's not. And Lawrence is off kilter and makes a bad throw. Punt. And then the third drive, Tommy Togiai swats a pass down on first down. And then second down, they throw that bubble screen to Rodgers and Justin Hilliard is like shot out of a cannon. There's a Mm -hmm. tight end out there who's supposed to block him. And Justin Hilliard is past the guy before he even knows what's going on and, and just obliterates Amari Rogers. And the, and the tight end is like punching the air. He's so frustrated because Justin Hilliard made such a smart, instinctive athletic play. And then you end up, Going on third down, you have a long one because you had a false start in between and it's like third and 19 and they complete like a 14 yard pass and they have to punt. And it's just like little things, but Justin Hilliard, Nathan came up twice in those plays, just attacking, just attacking Rogers in space. We talked about, there were like, you can't miss tackles, man. They were not missing tackles. They were rallying to the ball and they were getting on guys. You know, I think coming into the season, we looked at Hilliard and we looked at Jonathan Cooper as like these sort of feel good stories. These guys who were going to be, you know, leadership guys and, and not really like they were along for the ride necessarily. We thought they'd have roles. Cooper more so than Hilliard, though, because we thought Hilliard was still the, the fourth linebacker kind of on the outside of that rotation, if there even was a rotation. And where would this team be without Jonathan Cooper and, and Justin Hilliard? Um, the way Hilliard's played these last two weeks. I mean, you could argue, I, I don't know that they win the Northwestern game without him, the way he played, maybe with maybe without him playing to that level that he played. But I mean, I don't know. Um, that was a pretty incredible performance. And then again, tonight, I, I thought he was a disruptor. He had the, the fumble recovery also in the, in the second half, which I thought when he, when that play happened, I was like, you know, Hey, who got that? Who got that? And we're looking around and it's like, Oh, it's Hilliard. And I'm like, Oh, who else? Like, that's just who else would have recovered that except Justin Hilliard. Like that's just the season he's been having uh, keeps coming up at, at really critical times. Jonathan Cooper and Tyreek Smith were working uh, Jordan McFadden and Jackson Carmen that entire second half. And it started leading the sacks and they both had a strip sack in this game that I, once they, they Clemson had no choice, but to throw the ball, those two defensive ends started working and it Jackson Carmen didn't look like a five-star recruit anymore. It was interesting by the by by the fourth quarter by those last possessions. I guess this just makes sense because the way the game had gone. But I mean, you could really see it in Trevor Lawrence's body language that he was just kind of beleaguered. The and and, and I think part of that is also just knowing kind of the inevitability of where that game was going just by score and time. But uh, I don't know. He, he looked worn down the way that frankly that Justin Fields had looked um, a, a couple times this season. All right, so let's get to the other sequence that. I thought was the sequence of the game and is the play of the game. I have a play of the game. Maybe it's everybody's play of the game. Do you have a play of the game that, that sticks out to you guys? Yeah. It's Trey Sermon clearly being down, but getting up anyway and trying to go run for a touchdown. Right. But I mean that, but, and that part didn't matter, but that play. Yeah. 
Every, I mean, just that was perfect by Justin. Buy some time. No one's there. Okay, I'm not going to hold it any longer. Here's a check down to a guy who's been running violently all night and continued to run. Went and got a first down, first of all, because I I think that was third down. That's all that matters. The rest of it was fake. Yeah. Got a first down. It's it's 42. No, it's 35-21. DeMario, who – DeMario screws up the kickoff, and they end up starting at the nine-yard line. Mario's not having a good but, time right now, man. But then, by the way, and by the way, it was Trey Sermon who jumped on the ball there, or else it could yeah. have been a real catastrophe. Well, Demario's waving his arms around, talking about no, no one's getting it. It's in the end zone. So first down from the nine. Justin has lots of time. He holds it, and he holds it in what I thought was a very dangerous way because it was like there was a guy coming from his backside, and I was waiting for him to hold it another half second and get it knocked out of his hand, and he ended up just throwing it out of bounds. So it was fine but it was a little like, yeah, that's Justin holding the ball in a bad way. Second down, they run wide with Trey Sermon. There's nothing. So now it's third and 10 and nobody's open. They've only rushed four, but they've, they've dropped seven and they've dropped everybody so deep that there's nobody accounting for Trey Sermon. So he stays in to pass protect and then just slips out. Justin, Steven, as you said, throws it to him. There is nobody. There's no high state guy there. There is no blocker. This is on your own. And there are two guys coming up. Now, when he catches it, the two guys are like behind the first down marker. They're so deep. But they're coming up at him. And if he does not get the first down by himself there, Ohio State is now punting the ball back. The possession after Justin had thrown the pick in the end zone. Mm -hmm. Clemson had just scored. It's only a two-score game. It's only a 14-point game. And if they would have had to punt the ball back there, that is clearly an opportunity for a momentum shift. And you have this guy out in the flat by himself with the ball. And the game is, can you get 10 yards on your own? And he does. (laughs) It's unbelievable. Two guys are coming at him, makes them both miss, and then tries to get a fake touchdown out of it. But – Nathan, like, and, and just the idea that, hey, Justin could have tried to run there, and maybe it would have worked too, but I think, like, every game up until this one, that's what Justin would have done. But suddenly the check down game was alive and well. It set up the first touchdown when Sermon had the check down and the hurdle down the sideline, and now it saved the drive on this. Nathan, like, it came out of nowhere. I can't remember what I was watching. It may have been the Georgia-Cincinnati game earlier yesterday now it's technically yesterday it may have been something i was watching friday night but it it dawned on me how little we ever see justin fields uses checkdowns like it's just not really a part of what he does within this offense it's it's a lot of downfield strikes and hitting the and a lot of times that's open and he it makes no sense to do a check down but i think that might have been something that was missing from some of these other performances and i thought if you go back to the first touchdown ohio state scored everybody remembers the flying like Kung Fu enter the dragon, whatever kick that Trey Sermon tried to do at the end of that reception. But the thing that blew me away, like I almost wasn't even paying attention to that because I was just astonished that that was another one, like just a, a per, just a textbook check down. Like the, 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 everything else was covered. 
Trey Sermon just kind of releases. He throws him a little pass, and then it's off to the race because there's nobody in front of him. I think it was something that Clemson hadn't really accounted for in its game plan, its defensive game plan. And it's one of the things that kind of makes me wonder. We talked before about you know Justin Fields saying he prepared his butt off this week and stuff. And I'm almost wondering if if it was more things like that. Was it a more intro, was the preparation more introspection and trying to refine his own game? And maybe there had been just some leakage there. Maybe he had had not been um, refining his own game enough. And as other teams were, as opponents are making adjustments, he didn't have enough answers. And tonight he had a lot of answers to things that didn't go right um, off the snap. It's almost like he told himself to calm down because some of that stuff, it makes you want to rewatch maybe the Indiana game more than the Northwestern game to see if that stuff was there then. But before he was trying to scramble around, hold on to the ball, do all this extra stuff. And then as he's going down, try to throw that check down pass and gets picked off. Trevor Lawrence threw one of those today too. And that was ugly where he's falling down, still trying to get rid of the ball and he just happened to work out for him. But it seemed like watched some film and told himself, okay, it's there. Like I don't have to go be Superman. If let Trey Sermon be Superman. When he was asked, when Justin Fields was asked about uh, the tight ends after the game, it's probably something we won't get into in depth tonight, but he was asked about, the tight ends after the game and how much they threw to them after having kind of ignored them in the passing game for a while. He didn't say, well, yeah, that was something that we saw uh, that might be there for Clemson, uh, Clemson's defense or something that we decided to add. He said, I missed the tight ends a lot this season. Like when he went back and I guess had been again, rewatching himself or, or studying things that had happened over the course of the year that he noticed or someone noticed for him, Hey, you're, you're those tight ends are there more often than you're using them. And so, again, I think this was just another example of that, something that had been there maybe all along, because I think Doug is right. Like I think early on in the season and by early on the season, I mean, as recently as December 19th or whatever, 18th in the big 10 championship game, I think he just takes off in those situations. I don't think he, he flips it out to Trey Sermon. And those are only two plays, but they were two pivotal plays. And then, by the way, so then after Trey Sermon has the fake touchdown that wasn't a touchdown, but he ran all that way and tired himself out, they don't – Master Teague's not playing. Master Teague's yeah. out. So mm -hmm. they bring in Mayan Williams. And last year when Master Teague had to come in for J.K. when J.K. hurt his ankle and they mm -hmm. gave the ball to Master Teague a couple times and kind of nothing happened – they gave the ball to Mayan Williams and Mayan Williams did something with it. He went six yards and then he went 15 yards and then he slipped on his last carry and got zero. Yeah. But if they bring in Mayan Williams there and they hand the ball to Mayan Williams twice and he gets one yard and two yards and now it's third and seven. Now they're back in a third down situation. Trey just bailed them out of one, but they had to give Trey a break. Like he literally, he couldn't have 50 carries. So they had to put in a backup running back. And when they put Mayan Williams in, he didn't just run into the line. He did something with it. And that was huge because then, so, so it's Sermon check down for the first down. They take Sermon out. It's three Mayan Williams plays. And then when Trey Sermon comes back in, the first play is the touchdown to Chris Olave is the deep post. And that is almost lights out that makes it 42 21 any momentum Clemson had from the pick in the end zone and then scoring any defensive though momentum they thought they were going to get by a stop is wiped out by a beautiful perfect deep ball and it's over but it was set up by a check down and by the backup running back doing something when they put him in the game I mean there just are a little 
so many tiny little things in this game where it's just a guy doing his job, somebody making a read that you're supposed to make, and it set up the spectacular, right? That we're always going to remember that deep ball to Chris Olave, but man, there's a couple things that had to happen to make that possible, and they just did that kind of thing all night. Myron Williams hasn't had a lot of snaps this year, but every time he gets on the field, he runs like a guy who knows two top 100 running backs are going to be here in a month. <laughs> but it's isn't it funny, though? I mean, it's 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 like 180 degrees from how at the end of last year's game in the Fiesta Bowl, how many guys we were talking about had something that didn't quite go right. Like it was like Chase Young got a lot of pressures, but doesn't really, it wasn't really getting at, wasn't getting to Trevor Lawrence to take him down or the just, you know, Jordan Fuller was right there and had the fumble recovery, but it didn't count or Sean Wade got ejected or the fields of lave stuff. Like there was all the, everybody on that roster seemed like had some little thing that didn't quite go right. And then tonight it's almost the opposite. It's like, you can just look all over this roster and all the little contributions that, that helped a victory happened. And I think that's, um, it's a simplistic way, but I mean, it's, it's, that's when you, when it's going good, that's how it goes. And kudos a little bit to Kerry Combs. Cause they tried to get after Trevor Lawrence with some blitzes early. They had the one in the first drive where Pete Warner got to him, but just a little bit too late. So he got the ball off, but it was an incompletion. They went at him again and they ended up just completing a big play down the field, but they, they made it clear very early that we're not going to sit back and just, play cover three and let our talent be our talent. We're going to scheme some things up and get after you. And they didn't do that as much in 2019 until it kind of called for it. Like I think the Sean Wade ejection was maybe one of the first times they did it in 2019, but they got after him early and often today. So Trevor had to think about it a little bit more before he decided to take off. All right. Last thing. And then we'll get out of here. Nathan, do we know anything about Wyatt Davis? Uh, Yeah. He said he was fine. He was on the call. Um, he, oh, he was on the yeah, Zoom? He, yeah, yeah. He, he messed – I think he said his knee he messed up a little bit. And he's, I mean, he's 300 pounds, and you're not putting that back on your knee. But he was fine. He did come back into the game. He said he'll be all right. Because Paris Johnson ended up playing both – Paris Johnson is going to be the left tackle next year. Yeah. Wound mm-hmm. up playing both guard spots at various points. Did he not? Yeah. Yeah, he's clearly the, the number – he's the sixth best offensive lineman. I think I, – I, we said this – I said this to Nathan before the game when we saw he was lined up at left guard with the second team and DeJuan was outside. And I was like, maybe they just had Parrish playing everywhere in practice the last couple of weeks just, just in case. So that way your sixth six best offensive lineman is ready for anything. Well, I, th- I think I even texted that the sixth best thing. And then I was thinking like, well, if he were sixth best, then he would have been starting at left guard tonight. So that's probably not true. But he's clearly his value is clearly already being realized. Yeah, some of these guys mattering. You know, it doesn't when you're a freshman like that. You don't have to be the star, but if you can do a couple a couple snaps again, it's probably worth worth the post. But just Paris Johnson, Mayan Williams, Lathan Ransom. You know, just some of these guys just do a little bit. And it can be a big deal because maybe you won't make the play, but you'll do your job, which gets your team to the next down, which allows one of the stars to make the play. And you'll be a star someday. You're just not quite there yet. But man, Jackson Smith, the Jigba had a nice catch. That guy's a good player. I mean, just very complete both sides of the ball. Run pass, defend the run, defend the pass, scheme, execution, just a really top to bottom. I mean, it's, it is funny, Nathan, to think about. Last year, they were so talented and they did so much right. 
but you still, as much as you would say, oh, you know, the ref screwed him or whatever, you still would count the things in that game. It's like, well, if only Ohio State had done this or this or this or this or this, they might have won. And you get in a game like this, and like I'm not sure, other than the Justin pick in the end zone, which was, I think, maybe a guy who was feeling it, trying to throw in a triple coverage. You give him that one when he throws for six touchdowns. Like, other than that, I'm not – did they make a mistake? I mean, the, the DeMario play was a mistake. Uh, they had a couple penalties here and there early in the game that, that were you know could have been problems. I thought there were times they didn't tackle well on uh, at certain stretches but um i you know I, i've had this this thing kind of hanging over everything like is this really a championship defense and i think tonight we saw that as long as you pair it with this offense then almost any defense is a championship defense but certainly this defense is a championship defense if you're paired with an offense that's clicking on all cylinders like this yeah i agree and to the the point with Latham, the, the young guys Latham ransom especially I think he's going to benefit from this experience the most out of anybody, any of those freshmen who are playing in significant roles right now because of the questions we've had about this secondary all year. And if you have a guy who is going to come back as a second-year guy who's already basically claimed that bullet role now, if Josh Proctor is going to be your single high safety, because you didn't see a lot of Marcus Hooker tonight. So if, if he's already claimed that, that's one less thing you have to worry about and going, Josh Proctor might be the answer for two different questions. You know, it, it's one of those cliches in football, like the 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 guy on the staff, the the one who'll wear shorts outdoors in a blizzard or whatever. You always say like, oh, by the time you get to the end of your freshman year, you're not really a freshman anyway because you've played yeah. however many games. So this this is their seventh game, and most of them they haven't had a bunch of non conference blowouts or whatever to like get acclimated to this level. This is their seventh game, and some of them only played like two. And and this is still and, and now they're on the field, the biggest games of the year in college football, not just for a hot state, but like the biggest games of the year, period. Really good. Man, they were good. They were really, really good. And I texted out right before the game or this afternoon. It's like I, I was feeling worse about it today, having rewatched yes last year's game one more time, just questioning the secondary, just questioning was was Clemson going to have a defensive game plan that was going to keep Justin from being his best? I, I did not feel good about it. And uh, they answered every question. And I, there, I think everybody in college football, after the way Alabama played this season and after the way Alabama just like dismantled Notre Dame, even though the score was, cl- was closer than the game was, um, was wondering, well, who's can play with Alabama? That was the question going in. You, you know, most people figured Clemson would win, but like, was Clemson going to do something that made you think they could really play with Alabama? And we come out of this game with a team that can play with Alabama. So that's good for college football. That's good for the national championship game. It's going to be a fun 10 days to get ready for it. We're going to do a bunch of podcasts. We're going to write a bunch of stories. We're going to send a bunch of texts. And if you're listening, you're now in the zone. If you're not a tech subscriber, you're in the zone. 14-day free trial, you get them through the title game. Maybe even the parade, the, the Zoom parade. Um, 614-350-3315. Come join us. You know, it's fun. There's some info. There's some analysis. It's fun. There's surveys. Why not? Seriously, why not at this point? That's the best thing. Why not? Give it a try. Drop a review at Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU because we're going to stay up all night writing stories. Um, thanks for hanging. 10 days. In Miami, you guys start looking for plane tickets yet? Mm-hmm. Pricey? Pricey? Yeah. Yeah, 400 bucks. It's That's not bad. bad. What's crazy is, though, um, I was looking at them 
three or four days ago just to see, just in case. And they were like $41. And then they were up 35 and 14 at halftime. They were $41? Yeah. I think that was to Miami, though, which isn't necessarily the place you want to fly into. for. No, no. There was one to Fort Lauderdale as well. Yeah. Might have maybe should have booked that one. I should have, but... That shows you. I, I predicted Ohio State to win, but I didn't have enough faith in them to put some money down on it. <laughs> but I'm not booking a $41 plane ticket. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll try to cut. The plan is that once these guys get home back to Ohio on Saturday, we'll do another pod and bring it to you Sunday morning. This is the Saturday morning one at this point because it's 3.42 a.m. and Ohio State is headed to the national championship game. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>